Beginning in verse number one. All right, we'll just read it. Shout joyful praises to God, all the earth. Sing about the glory of his name. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. Your enemies cringe before your mighty power. Everything on earth will, will worship you. They will sing your praises, shouting your name in glorious songs. Come and see what our God has done. What awesome miracles he performs for people. He made a dry path through the Red Sea. And his people went across on foot. There we rejoiced in him. For by his great power he rules forever. He watches every movement of the nations. Let no rebel rise in defiance. Let the whole world bless our God and loudly sing his praises. Our lives are in his hands, and he keeps our feet from stumbling. You have tested us, O God. You have purified us like silver. You captured us in your net and laid the burden of slavery on our back. Then you put a leader over us. We went through fire and flood, but you brought us to a place of great abundance. Now I come to your temple with burnt offerings to fulfill the vows I made to you. Yes, the sacred vows that I made when I was in deep trouble. That is why I am sacrificing burnt offerings to you, the best of my rams as a pleasing aroma and a sacrifice of bulls and male goats. Come and listen, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. For I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love from me. This morning I'm using for my subject learning from the psalmist. Father, I thank you for the word of the Lord this morning. God, I believe that there is much in your word and much in this psalm today that we can glean, that, 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 we can, that we can learn from, that we can be ministered to from this passage today. Help us to open our hearts to you today. Father, help us to receive your word, and Father, help us to do something with the word that we receive today. All of these things we ask in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. You may be reseated. This morning, as I was reading through this psalm this week, as I read it and read it and read it and reread it, at first I it was a little difficult. What is he trying to say, and what is contained in this, but, but as I continued to read it, God began to open my heart, and God began to open my eyes, and God began to reveal some things to me that, that we could learn from this psalmist. 
four things became clear to me. And I want to share those four things with you this morning. The first thing that I see in this psalm is I see the admonition. I see this psalmist gives us some good admonition. And the first thing that he admonishes us to do is he, he, he says, tell the world how glorious God is. He says that in verse number two. Literally, he says, tell the world how glorious he is. Let me ask you this this morning. How do you present God to the world? How do you present your God to the world. Do the people around you know that you have a relationship with your God or, or do they think that you're just a rule keeper? Let me ask you this this morning. Do you have any joy in your relationship with God? Because if you do, it will show up on your face. It will show up in your attitude. It will show up in the way that you live your life. You know, I've watched people who were in a new relationship. And especially if, if they were in, in, in dire need of a good, positive, healthy relationship. And I've watched them, and, I, and I've watched as their countenance their, their very countenance begins to change. A glow begins to appear on their face. The change is apparent. It's noticeable. It's drastic. May I suggest to you this morning that God is looking for more than just a rule keeper, but He is looking for a relationship. And I'm afraid there's too many of God's people that, 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 that all they are is rule keepers. But God wants more than rule keepers, but he wants, he wants to have a personal relationship with his people. Now, I don't know how it is with you and, and, and God, but as for me, as for me, he's not just my Sunday morning God. I don't just say to him, hey, God, I'll meet you at church on Sunday, uh, say from about 10 in the morning till about 11.30. Sure hope you're there, God. I don't know about you this morning, but, but I don't walk out of here at noon on Sunday and say to God, all right, God, nice to meet with you, had a good time with you today. Hey, God, I'll meet you back here, same time, same place, next Sunday is the date. No, the fact of the matter is I walk with God, and I talk with God, and we hang out together. Every single day. You see, I've discovered him to be glorious. I actually crave and covet his presence. I want the world to know that I, I love my God. I don't serve him merely out of fear. Oh, I don't just keep his rules so he won't punish me. 
but I keep his rules because I've discovered, oh, the purpose for his rules. And the purpose of his rules is to keep me safe and so that I can bring glory and honor to him. I've discovered God to be a good God. Oh, I've discovered God to be a God that loves me, a God that has my best interests at heart. Oh, Jeremiah 29 and 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Oh, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a future and a hope. The psalmist admonishes us to tell the world how glorious God is. Tell our world. Tell the people in our world how wonderful God is and and how awesome and how incredible and how wonderful it is to know Him. Oh, present our God in such a way that He will be appealing to them. Let people know that that your God just doesn't just do good things for you. He actually is a pretty cool God to hang out with. Let them understand that 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 he's not just some majestic, untouchable, unreachable being or force somewhere up, up, and far away. No, no. Let them know that your God is a personal God. And let them know that he created them. Oh, and he created them because he wanted to have a relationship with them. Tell the people in your world how glorious he is. But the writer of the psalm didn't just admonish us to tell the world how glorious God is, but he also admonishes us to tell God how great he is. Verse 3, say to God, how awesome are your deeds. No one likes to be taken for granted. Evidently, Not even God. But the children of Israel, God's chosen people, were notorious for taking God and his blessing for granted. They failed miserably in the area of thankfulness. Listen, Psalm 78 verse 42 says they forgot his power and love and they forgot how he rescued them from their enemies. It's easy for us this morning to oh, to pick on the children of Israel, but let me ask you this morning, how is it with you? How is it with us today? Oh, do we constantly thank God for what he's done? Do we constantly thank God for what he's doing? Do we constantly thank God for the plan that he has for our life? Or do we constantly complain and gripe and say, what has he done for me lately? Thomas admonishes us to tell God how great he is. So every day in my prayer time, I tell God how great he is. I use every adjective I can think of to describe him and to describe, oh, his awesome and incredible power. Because you see, we shouldn't just worship God for what he does for us. We should worship him because of who he is. Oh, we should worship him because he is worthy of worship and he is worthy of praise. He is so worthy of worship. The Bible says that there are beings that are constantly before the throne of God 24-7, day and night. They never cease but cry out, holy, holy.
Lord God who was and who is and who is to come. That's how worthy and how deserving that our God is of worship and, and worthiness and, and praise. Hallelujah. Well, notice the next thing that I see in the psalm that we can learn from, from the author. The second thing that I see in this psalm is I see the appreciation. You see, the psalmist was appreciative of God and of his workings in his life and in the life of his people. And as I look closely, I see that the psalmist shows appreciation in three distinct areas. He could see the hand of God working in these three distinct areas. And so he he acknowledges them. And he shows appreciation. First of all, he shows, he shows appreciation, number one, for his participation. Verse 5 and 6, come and see what our God has done. Oh, what awesome miracles he performs for people. And then he just tells of one. He said he made a dry path through the Red Sea. And, oh, and his people went across on foot. So the psalmist shows appreciation for, for God's participation in his life. But the truth of the matter is this morning God is at work in all of our lives. God is at work today. He's at work in your life today. Let me tell you this morning that nothing happens to us by accident. Nothing is a coincidence. But it is God and His hand working in our life. And I'm talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm not just talking about the grand and the glorious. I'm talking about that God's hand is in every part, in every aspect of our life. And he uses it all. The fact of the matter is God has a master plan. And what is so incredible is the fact that although God has a master plan, our lives are part of God's master plan. That's kind of mind-boggling, isn't it? When you understand how big and how powerful and how majestic that God is and how little and how tiny and how small that we are, but then to understand that we are a part of His plan. Well, evidently, David had a hard time wrapping his mind around this thought because David said in Psalm 8, verse 3 and 4, he said, when I look at the majestic sky, when I look at the sun and the moon and the stars, and I notice their magnitude, then he says, why would God want anything to do with people? He says, they're so small and they're so little and they're so insignificant compared to the wonder of the sun, the moon, and the stars. And David says, why in the world would God care about them? And why would God choose to be involved with them? But oh, I've got good news for you this morning. The good news is he is. He is. He's interested in us. He's involved with us. He's informed about even the most insignificant and minute detail of our life. Not only did the psalmist show appreciation for God's participation, but also for his protection. In verse 7, it says, He watches every move of the nations, so let no rebel rise. In defiance. And then in verse number 9, he says, Our lives are in his hands, and he keeps our feet from stumbling. Here's what I've come to believe 
The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. I'll never forget a friend of mine, a pastor, whose daughter was feeling called to go to Africa. But not just to Africa, but to a very, very dangerous place. And we were talking one day, and I, I said, I can only feel for you. I, 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 wow, this is tough, this is hard, this is difficult. But I called him by name, and I said, but listen. The safest place for your daughter to be is in the center of God's will. Amen? Amen. It's safer for her to be in that most remote and dangerous place. It's safer for her to be there than in another bedroom in your house. Hello? Hello? I believe the safest place to be is in the center of God's will. The safest place to be is under the divine protection of our almighty God. And so daily I pray a hedge of protection over me and my family. Daily I plead the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ over me and my family. Daily, I ask God to place angels strategically around me, my family, and this church. I can't speak for you this morning, but I appreciate the protection that I receive from God. You see, you see, I believe He watches over me. I believe He watches over my family. I believe he fights off evil forces, oh, that try to come against us. I believe what Psalm 91 says. Psalm 91 says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge. He's my place of safety. He is my God. And I trust Him. He will rescue you and shelter you and cover you. Do not be afraid of the terror of the night nor of the arrow of the day. He will order His angels to protect you wherever you go. The Lord says, I will protect those. Who trust in my name. Not only did the psalmist show appreciation for God's participation and, and God's protection, but also for his process. His process. Verse 10 through 12 says, You have tested us, O God. Who? You have tested us, O God. You captured us in your net. Who did this? You have tested us, O God. You captured us in your net. You laid the burden of slavery on our backs. Who laid the burden of slavery on their back? Burden of slavery? We went through fire and we went through flood. At the hand of who? Who? 
You don't sound very convinced. Okay, psalmist, you're, you're going a bit far with this. You're, you're showing appreciation for the process? Absolutely. Because you see, while the process might not be very pleasant, it's necessary. Because without the process, there will be no product. You see, without the process, the coal will never be turned into a diamond. Without the process, crude oil will never be turned into petroleum. Verse 12 again, we went through fire and flood. What's that? Process. Process. But you brought us to a place of great abundance. What's that? product. The process might not be very pleasant, but it's necessary because without the process, there will be no product. Job 23 and 10, when he has tried me, what is that? Process. I shall come forth as gold. What is that? Product. You ought to sit on the front row. Only the people in the front row get it. Amen. They don't want to talk. Perhaps you're being tried today. Oh, oh, perhaps God is leading you through the fire and through the flood. Oh, maybe you are in the process right now. Oh, you're in the process mode. Oh, and it's hard. Oh, it's difficult. It's discouraging. It's hard to understand. It's hard to wrap your, your hands around. It's hard to wrap your mind and your heart around. It's hard to make sense of. Oh, but I want to tell you this morning, hang on. Hang on. Keep trusting God. Don't give up in despair because that after the process comes the product. If you survive the process, you will eventually enjoy the fruit of the product. Job 42 and 10, the Lord restored Job's wealth. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as he had before his trial. We would only learn from the psalmist in Psalm 66. Learn the lesson of appreciation. Learn how to appreciate God. Oh, appreciate Him for His participation and for His protection. And even for His process. Well, the third thing that I see in this psalm is I see the agreement. The agreement. And unlike most of the children of Israel, the writer of this psalm remembered the agreement he had made with God. Here's what I know. People are fast to make promises to God when they're in trouble. Just let somebody become seriously ill or one of their family members. Let somebody experience loss or tragedy or extreme adversity. And out comes the promises. Quick comes the bargaining. 
Oh, I'll do anything, God. I'll give anything. Oh, oh, God, I'll go to church. I'll pay my tithe. I'll pray. I'll witness. I'll work in the church. People, people are fast to make promises to God when they are in trouble. And evidently, even the writer of this psalm was. Because he said in verse 13 and 14, he said, I come to your temple with my offerings to fulfill the vows I made to you. Yes, the sacred vows I made. Notice, the sacred vows I made when I was in deep trouble. But unlike the psalmist was, most people are forgetful of their promises once their trouble is over. Story is told of a plane that was in trouble, a plane that was going down, and everybody knew it was going down, and everybody knew they were going to die. There was a rich man sitting in one seat, and there was a minister sitting next to him. And as the plane was spiraling out of control and on its way to a crash, The rich man cried out to God and said, God, if you'll spare us, if you'll spare this plane, if you'll spare our lives, God, God, I'll give a million dollars to your church. And miraculously, the plane stopped spiraling out of control. The pilot got it under control and landed the plane. Everyone was safe. Once they were on the ground, the preacher (laughs) looked over at the rich man and said, I couldn't help overhear you when we were about to crash. You promised God a million dollars to his church if he would save us. I just happened to be a pastor. (laughs) What's your plan? And the man said to the preacher, I've already made God a better deal. I told God, if I ever get on another plane, I'll give you $2 million. (laughs) People tend to forget their promises once their trouble is over. And by the way, by the way, what promise have you made to God in the past that you have not kept? What promise did you make to God when your child was sick? Oh, and the doctor said he didn't know if your child was going to live or not, but you made a promise to God, God, if you'll just, if you'll just let my child live, God, this is what I will do. What have, what have you done? Have you made good on your promise? The promise you made me said, God, if you'll just save my marriage, God, if you'll just keep my marriage and help my marriage not to fail, God, if you'll do that for me, God, this is what I'll do for you. Have you made good on your promise? The promise you made to God, God, if I can just get that promotion, God, if I can just get that better salary, if I can just get that better job, God, God, I'll tithe and I'll give the mission, God, 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 God. Let me ask you, let me ask you, have you made good on your promise? Most people tend to forget their promises once their trouble is over. Notice the last thing that I see in this psalm. 
The fourth thing that we can learn from the psalmist, and that is I see the affirmation. Three things that this writer of Psalms 66 affirms. First of all, he affirmed God's provision. In verse 16, he said, come and listen, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. Let me ask you this morning, has God ever provided anything for you? Pastor, I don't even have a job right now. What do you mean is God provided? I don't even have a job. Let me ask you this. Have you eaten this week? Did you eat this week? Do you have clothes to wear? Do you have a roof over your head? Do you have a nice bed to sleep in? How'd you get here? How did you get here? Sounds to me like God is providing. See, we need to understand and affirm who our source is. You see, if your source is the company you're working for, what will you do when they lay you off? And they will. It's the world we live in. They will lay you off. If your source is your spouse, what will you do if they die? But if God is our source, then it doesn't really matter what method he chooses to get it to us with, does it? doesn't matter if it's a, a job or, or ravens. Amen. I've had a few buzzards given to me before, amen. Not only did this psalmist affirm God's provision, but also he affirmed God's prerequisite. Found in verse number 18, he said, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Let me ask you this this morning. I'm just wondering, from what I see and what I hear, the way God's people act today, let me just ask, has God changed his mind about sin? I mean, now that we are in the dispensation of grace, is it now okay to sin? If we're aware of sin in our life and and yet we are unwilling to repent of it and and we continue to practice it, will, will God just ignore it? Will God just ignore it? Will God just pat us on the back and say, It's okay, boys will be boys. Nobody's perfect. The psalmist said in verse 18, he said, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, God wouldn't even have listened to me. And Isaiah 59 and 2 says, It's your sins that you're what? It's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, God has turned away and he will not listen to you. But pastor, those are Old Testament scriptures. We're under grace now. Okay. 
Romans chapter 6 and verse 1 in the New Testament says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? And the writer of Romans, the Apostle Paul says, Don't be stupid. (laughs) He said, of course not. Don't be ridiculous. And 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 and 9, says when people keep on sinning, listen to me, listen. Don't listen to me, listen to what, what 1 John 3, verse 8 and 9 When people keep on sinning, it shows. It what? It shows. It shows what? It shows that they belong to the devil. Huh? When people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. Because those who belong to God's family do not make a practice of sinning. New Testament, clear as mud. Pastor, pastor, how do we tell the difference in a sinner and a saint? It's easy. It's easy. Sinner, sin. You see somebody sinning, they're a sinner. Because sinners sin. And saints don't. And if they do, they repent. Hello? When people keep on sinning, it shows they belong to the devil. Those who belong to God's family do not make a practice of sinning. How do you tell the difference between a sinner and a saint? Sinners sin. Saints don't. If they do, they repent. What can we learn from the psalmist? We can learn that God won't tolerate unconfessed sin. He will turn away from us if we continue in our sin. And the only prayer that God will listen to when we have known unconfessed sin in our life is the prayer of repentance. Notice the third and last affirmation of this psalmist. He affirmed God's persistence. Verse 20, praise God who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love from me. God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, God's long-suffering is so persistent. Let me ask you this this morning. How many of you have ever failed God? You've failed him once. How many have ever failed God twice? Three times. Five times. Ten times. Notice the term this psalmist uses in in verse 20, unfailing love. Listen, listen, listen. We fail him, but he never fails us. Our love fails, but his love never fails. Oh, how many times will God pick us up? As many times as we fall, but cry out to him with a sincere cry. How many times will God forgive us of our sin? Every time, amen, that we cry out to him with a sincere cry of repentance. God will forgive us every single time. 
Well, give the Lord a shout of praise in his house today. The musicians and singers are getting in place really, really quick this morning. The fellows that are going to be used in the ushering of communion, you get in place and wait till I call on you, please. I ask you this morning, have you learned anything or been reminded of anything by, from the psalmist today? Nobody has? Okay, I did my best. After hearing this message, what do you need After hearing the message today, what do you need to do? You need to tell the world how glorious God is. How do you represent your God? What do people around you know about your God? What do they know about you? Do they just see you as some kind of rule keeper? Or do they see a person that has a relationship? with their God. Do you need to tell the world how glorious God is? Do you need to tell God how great He is? How great He is. No one likes to be taken for granted. Everybody needs to, to be affirmed and even God likes to hear how great He is. After hearing the message today, what do you, what do you need to do about it this morning? Do you need to show your appreciation to God? Show your appreciation for His participation in your life, for His protection in your life. Oh, even for the process. And maybe you're in the process right now and it's not easy. But you know that without the process, there won't be a product. What do you need to do with this message this morning? Do you need to make good on a promise you made God when you were in deep trouble? Oh, you made the promise, but once the trouble was over, you forgot to do good with your promise. What do you need to do with this message today? You need to, do you need to thank God for His provision? For his persistent love. What do you need to do about this message today? Maybe you need to repent of sin that's in your life today. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed all over this room this morning. First of all, this morning, I want to see the hand of those who will say, Pastor, there's sin in my life, and I need to repent of it today. I acknowledge it, and I'm going to do it this morning. Can I see your hand lifted up really high? Thank you. All over this room, there are people's hands being raised all over this room. All over this room. All right, you can put your hand down now. Let me tell you that repentance doesn't just mean I'm sorry. Repentance means I'm sorry, and with God's help, I'm going to stop it. It means I'm going to do an about face. I'm going to turn around. I was going this direction, but now I'm going to do an about face and go the opposite direction of where I was going. So don't just ask God to forgive you of your sin. Get up and leave this room today and go do it again. No. Ask God to help you to cease from sinning. I'm going to ask everyone else this morning, how many others this morning in this room 
say, Pastor, I need to answer one of the other four that I mentioned a moment ago. I need to answer one of those altar calls. Can I see your hand this morning all over this room? Thank you. God bless you. God bless you today. Ricky, you can lead your men down and give them the emblems. We're going to lead into the Lord's Supper in just a moment. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed while Ricky is doing this to expedite matters. I'm going to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus. First of all, let me pause. You guys continue, but let me pause. If you lifted your hand, you have sin in your life. You need to confess that you have sinned, and you need to ask Jesus to forgive you. And I want you not just to say, God, if there's sin in my life, but no, you know what that sin is, or you wouldn't have lifted your hand. So I want you to say it. You don't have to say it where your neighbor can hear it, but just say, God, this is the sin I'm talking about in my life. I recognize it. I know you're not pleased with it. I'm sorry for it. I ask you to forgive me, and I ask you to help me today. Help me today to not sin in this area from this moment on. I want you to do that right now. Do that right now. Do that right now. Father, I just pray for those that lifted a hand this morning with sin in their life. God, I pray that they will repent of their sin today, not just acknowledging their sin, not just being sorry for their sin, but also turning away from their sin. And God, I pray that you will empower them. You will give them the power, Father, that they need, Father, Lord, to uh, overcome this sin. Father, I pray for everyone else that lifted a hand this morning. Lord, they had another part of the altar time that they, uh, and questions that I gave a moment ago, Father. Help them in this as well, Father. Help us today. Help us to glean from the psalmist. Help us to learn from this psalm today in the name of Jesus. Amen.